welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 84, which begins with Ash spewing milk all over the place, and ends with Lambert driving an electric prod into Ash's headless body. And we are joined again by Violet Luca, the digital editor of Film Comment, and a regular contributor to Sight and Sound and Brooklyn Magazine. Hi, thanks for coming back. Hello. It's nice to be here. So we're right in the middle of a convulsion scene here. Ash is wailing about like a rag doll, as we said earlier, and spewing milk. Man, I almost hate to ask, guys. Is there something to be read into the spewing milk thing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, concerning what room we're in and what's been going down. <laughs> it's awful. I know it's awful, but hey, we're here to ask the tough questions. Yeah. I mean, is there? Do you think? Oh, I'm, we can just forget about it if you want. Oh no, I think. I mean, I I was I was gonna save this maybe for the 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 next minute, but I think part of what is great about this movie is that it looks like no other movie, really. Like with you know the Giger stuff, where it's you know this very this bizarre combination of sort of beetle like you know something insect sort of things but then also things that are mechanical and you know something between something organic and something fashioned by hu- humanity it's very it has a very distinct look let's I'll I'll just stop my rambling there but um part of what is great about it is what when you finally when ash you finally get to see what's inside ash and it's like it's it's like the insides of no robot ever envisioned before and i think the milk stuff is a part of that where it's just like what is that and the and what possible purpose could it serve like there's no there's it's it's like there's no good reason for it but it's just disgusting <laughs> and so and for that and because it's disgusting it totally serves the purpose and it makes it you know uh just it's the the i think it just like how it's viscous but then also sort of clear and then it just it's it's a of, all, of any sort of like liquid you could possibly have uh, somebody leaking, this is this is worse than blood. This is so gross. Like I don't, you know. Yeah, I wonder what the conversations with the art department were like. Like, what color is this going to be? Like, how do you determine that? You know, what it is? And so they settle on this white, gross white, and it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty... Or just it's like if it was oil, like that would be so passe. Or if it was red like blood, that would also be kind of passe. Right. Like, you know. No, I'm wondering. I mean, has is there an example of this ever of white substance ever spewing from a character in a movie or television show? I mean, we got some green blood from Spock. We've got, you know, different colors of blood have been used in science fiction, but white. I mean, I, I almost would think it never would have occurred to anybody before, and it's perfect. It's shocking. It's still shocking to me when I watch this scene. And this is something I wanted to get into about this moment. Um, it's it's really jarring, it's shocking, and and completely batshit crazy, like how he's responding to getting hit by this um, fire extinguisher. And watching it, I was watching it last night, and I thought, you know, this is like one nudge away from being like laughably bad. Like it could have been just laughably stupid. The sound effect choices, the uh, uh, you know his way of convulsing. You could cut, like, say you cut one more, you know, reverse shot of them responding to it and back to him two more times. Let's say you did that. It would be like a GIF, a joke GIF that people would be posting online. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so finely tuned here. And this is something, I'll get a little off track here. It's, 
sometimes to get crazy right, you really have to push it beyond anything you've ever seen. It's the reason why I my favorite performance, one of my favorite performances ever in a movie is Jenna Rollins in A Woman Under the Influence. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons is, and it's a very Cassavetes thing to do, is you're pushing this character right at the audience and you're showing her do things that are just so crazier than you've ever seen anybody. You've never seen anybody act this crazy. This is just what not realistic. And sometimes you say to yourself when you're watching that film, this no way, no way is a person acting this way. But then you realize that's what crazy is. Like when you meet when you know someone who is mentally ill or something akin to that, it's going to be something you've never seen before. That's what makes it what it is. And in this moment, you know, less serious, you know, topic here we're talking about, but in order to have this shocking, jarring moment, you really got to push it even beyond what makes sense to the audience, but you got to pull it back right at the right place too. And that's what Cassavetes does with Rollins. He grounds her sometimes and he brings her back to the precipice and what Rollins does with the performance. I doubted anybody thought I would tie John Cassavetes to alien here, but I'm glad you did. it's a similar thing to me. And that's why I think this moment works really well. Um, because those sound effects, if you just isolated those sound effects and played them for somebody, they would think it was from a comedy. But I don't know. That's why this works so well and why we were talking about earlier this week, how finely tuned this movie is and why it still works on repeat viewings. And I still find this scene shocking. Did you know his head was going to get knocked off when you were watching it, Violet? No, no, I, I mean, I, um, I do remember, I mean, I remember, uh, like there used to be these things where it was like this this woman would do these short animations, um, different movies reenacted in 60, se- 60 seconds with bunnies. It was like this yeah, uh, yeah. flash animation series. And I remember one of them was, you know, Ash's head on the table being like, you can't kill it. And then it cut to something else immediately because it was very sort of like slapsticky and fast paced. And so I just assumed that you know, like the, like the alien got into him and like, just sort of like burst out because it couldn't, you know, feed off of him or something. Uh, so yeah, I did not know that his head gets knocked off, that he's sort of decapitated. Um, and that, you know, there's so much, uh, let's say reflex action happening after he's, uh, you know, after he's been decapitated, which I think is another very subtle echo because, uh, before when they, you know, when the face hugger first detaches, from Kane and in the sick bay, you know, they're poking at it and they're like, Oh, he's like, Oh, don't worry. That's just, you know, a reflex. And of course, you know, here, you know, Ash has been decapitated and he's still grasping at Parker and he's still like very, very threatening and very like creepy, you know, it's like, well, what, what is, what is going on with this? Is he like, as Ash says, he's, you know, he says, Oh, don't worry about this. Don't worry about this creature. It's, it's not a zombie. But he is. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, and that and that's where the film comment article that talks about uh, how this monster changes again and again and again, and that that's one of the really wonderful strategies of the movie is the monster always changes form, and then we get this second monster that comes along who winds up being, you know, the headless horseman or something, you know, the decapitated monster that can still grab you and kill you, and it's just it's so outrageous. But those flopping hands or those grabbing hands also remind us of. Kane when the chestburster came out of him and he's laying there on the table and his arms are, are, are twitching like that. So another weird visual, you know, echo of that thing. But I remember when I saw it for the first time with an audience, I mean, they came unglued at this moment because it was, they had so prepared themselves to grapple with the alien and what it was going to look like and what it was going to do. 
that this move coming kind of out of left field, certainly rendered in a way that is absolutely as shocking as anything else in the movie, just, you know, it just, <laughs> the place just went wild. Nobody expected it. Yeah, I think we're, we're back to talking about the two, the two monster movies that we were discussing in the earlier minute. Uh, this is a nice side road. You, the audience could have been, if it was just about the alien, we could have been on a straight track through the movie, and it might have, you know, they could have done whatever they wanted with the production design and, and so on, and it might have still come off as a little bit pat. And I think this this nice little side road, you know, I knew it was coming, but Mitch, you say when you saw it, you know, obviously nobody did. It's perfect. Like, it's got to be so disorienting to be in this other movie at this moment, and then to have this big shock happen to a character that we've spent so much time with, liked him or not, um, with that big music hit that Goldsmith gives it right there in that moment, which is fantastic. Yeah, I can imagine that people jumped right out of their seats for this one. O'Bannon hated it. You hated know? this moment? He hated this idea of this oh. subplot with the robot and everything. And so that was definitely a, a contribution from, from the producers and writers that came in after O'Bannon, which just goes to show you that sometimes, you know, another another brain on the project can can bring a different perspective and create something that uh, I mean they needed to top what had happened up to this point and it's a pretty fine effort at topping what's come up to this point yeah I think this you know is another example of alien being a good just enough cooks movie where it wasn't limited to an auteurist vision and it wasn't a too many cooks thing that we get with almost everything else if this movie were to be made now this is like we, the perfect blend of uh, a staff in a kitchen cooking up a movie. It hit, that's, you know, you could find that with most movies, I think, with Casablanca being another example where that all that collaboration just happened to hit right on the spot. The other thing that really struck me about this scene is that except for the final confrontation, like Ripley, you know, sort of facing off at the very end against the alien in the escape pod, like this is this is the only confrontation or fight that happens out in the open. Everything else is, <clears throat> it's stacked against the crew. Like, it's a surprise, you know, like when um, Dallas is in the, you know, he's going through the air vents and he just turns around and the alien's there and he's just gone. And it's very quick. Or, you know, when, um, I keep referring to this moment throughout this, but when um, Brett gets attacked by the alien and he's just gone, or even, you know, right before the end where Parker and Lambert are ambushed by the alien too, it's like, very quick, very quick. And this is like this long drawn out thing or fairly drawn out thing taking place out in the open, fully lit. Like there's no, um, there's no mystery about where the attack is coming from or what the threat is. They're just having it out in this formerly safe, familiar space. And it's, you know, like setting this, this whole segment of the film apart. It's not superfluous and it makes it more, it makes it deeper. It sort of enriches and makes it more interesting. The movie invites us to look in many places. You know, it really does invite us to look at the space jockey. It invites us to look at the, at the chestburster. It invites us to look at the facehugger. It invites us to look at, at this. And that's so great because then when you have those other moments where things are obfuscated, it's okay because you don't feel like, the filmmakers are afraid to show you something. You, you have a sense of they're showing you exactly what they want to. And they're also giving you time where they can actually rub your nose in it, you know. So so I think that's, a, again, one of the things that makes the movie so dangerous and so satisfying all at the same time. Right after Ash's head's been knocked off, uh, I was struggling to hear what uh, what Parker was saying. Were you guys did you notice Parker has lines there? And it sounds like he's saying, Mitch, it's an android. It's an android. It sounds like that's what he's saying to me, but I can't tell. 
but it's so it's in this shock moment there's no way that uh, the first time you're watching it you're getting this information whatever it is he's saying so they do feel when we reverse down when we finally get ash down on the ground we reverse and we get this line off camera off screen Ash is a goddamn robot right yeah yeah big adr big adr is that necessary now? I I feel like, you know, when I watch it, I'm always a little insulted. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm slightly, my intelligence is slightly insulted by these kind of ADR lines. <laughs> yeah, duh. Obviously, the guy's got a goddamn robot. But Mitch, in 1979, maybe they did need this, right? I mean, that moment, that doesn't look like a robot. That doesn't look like something you see. Well, so yeah, I think that goes to Violet's point, which yeah. is this doesn't. <laughs> there's not sparks flying and, yeah, and there's yeah. not, you know, there's not wrenches and, and, uh, and servos and, sure. and, 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 uh, gears flying out of his head, which is in the script, you know, the Walter Hill script, um, you know, it says, uh, wires ascending from Ash's trunk where his head used to be. Uh, and a little bit later, he's even got a little control box buried in his back, which speaks to Walter Hill kind of really not being the sci-fi guy. Well, it also speaks to Walter Hill. He's the guy that's trying to convey the information. You know, you're writing a screenplay. This is scripty shit. Like, that's scripty shit. That's, yeah, you got to make sure the reader is under, is getting it. Right. Uh, 100%. So I get that Walter Hill point of view. Then the image you get in the movie being something brand new. But this is going to take me just to, for a moment to the, to the uh, uh, director's cut and who we are as an audience circa 19, or 2003 to now. Um, you make all these changes in a movie. Uh, we've already talked about how he didn't make some changes to some ADR in this movie. Why not here? The, to me, this is one of those places where if I'm making a director's cut, I'm pulling that audio. I'm saying this moment, it feels it's too heavy. It's just a little bit insulting to the audience and especially an audience of this day and age, especially because everybody that's watching the director's cut of Alien, 90% of them know what's going on. I don't know. Violet, do you think... The audience of this day and age, they don't need this ADR, right? I mean, I will say in defense of it, um, when it was originally included, and I think maybe now for people who haven't, who are just watching the director's, director's cut anew, I think they put that line in because it's like, okay, so you've established that everything is sort of out of control now. Like all the all of what we thought was true is no longer true. And I think to say that to for uh, Parker to be like, he's a, he's a goddamn android, it, it makes it so it's like, this is not like yet another alien threat. Ash is something recognizable. Ash is like in this universe, people know that there are androids. They know that androids exist um, and that they can sort of like pass as human because they're, you know, because they're so well made. Um, and I think if they didn't have that line, it would like, I think maybe some of the audience would be like, well, wait, what is like is there is he an alien like is he because again it's it's not gears it's not something necessarily uh obviously like a, a traditional robot but also like for him to say that it's like okay so this is a, something else that this company makes and i think that's also sort of true for the 2003 thing where or at least for people who haven't seen it or or haven't seen it in a while it grounds it but it also adds a level of intrigue where it's like okay so humans and androids interacting all the time and whether or not they know whether or not they they care ambiguous you know yeah good point i'm totally flip-flopping on it now because now i'm thinking of it instead of thinking of it as the screenwriter conveying information or the filmmaker conveying information to the audience now it makes perfect sense as a reaction like we're getting a reaction moment from the performer 
I guess I was kind of forgetting that. It, it is important for Parker and crew, it could have been any of them, I suppose, to respond to the weirdness of this, finding out this person they know. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sold. Well, what else do we have for this minute? That you had? Well, yeah, I just wanted to mention, um, we didn't get sparks when, when his head knocked off, but we do get sparks as Lambert jams this cattle prod into him, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now, this, by the way, is the cattle prod or the electric prod that Brett invented that said it won't damage him unless his skin is thinner than ours. Remember when he says that? Yes. Clearly, the skin must be thinner than ours when it comes to ash because, my God, it it, it just sparks fly everywhere, you know, It's or maybe it's just short-circuited well, because he's all wet he's inside. He's, a man, he's also mechanical. Yeah. So uh, applying that much power to... I mean, you assume that he's pretty high powered, right, like right. whatever battery he has inside of him. But adding that uh, that last jolt is a, was the straw that broke the so we humans would have, back. would have grounded the signal. But when you hit him, right. it sparks and flies, which yep. is great. I mean, it's great fireworks. We need some, you know, we need fireworks to really establish this weird mechanical thing that we're dealing with, you know. And and God bless Lambert for getting yep. to go in there and kick something's ass. I, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to point out that this is the one time Lambert gets to be a big damn hero. Thank you, Lambert, for taking him out. I know she didn't quite look like one while she's doing it, but that's her style, you know? Let's, uh, let's give her a break. Love the Lambert uh, apologies. <laughs> I take a lot of shit for it, to be honest. <laughs> Twitter, uh, you know, we get some Twitter shit for that, but I, I, I love her. I'd, I, I, don't, I don't apologize for that at all. <laughs> well, any other thoughts about this minute? Nope. Nope. All right. Well, Violet, you want to tell the listeners where they can find you out there on the internets? Sure. Please visit filmcomic.com to read anything I've written. And then also you can check me out at Unbutton My Eyes on Twitter. We're, of course, at alienminute.com, also at alienminutepod on Twitter. Come over to our Facebook page and uh, talk to us about what you think and yell at me some more about my Lambert love. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast, and uh, that'll do it for minute number 84. We'll see you tomorrow for 85.